0: Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this my for this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt." Uh, "'such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. "'Now therefore, send, uh, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. "'For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. "'Then whoever feared the, Lord, the word of Yahweh among the servants of Pharaoh "'hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses.' But whoever did not pay attention to the word of Yahweh left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and in every plant on of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and Yahweh sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And Yahweh rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right, and I, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with Yahweh, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Yahweh God. The flax and the barley were struck down for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to Yahweh and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken through Moses. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Please be seated.
1: Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. You don't want to hear from me in the flesh. You want to hear from the Lord, and I want to get it right. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to sing your word, the truths of your word. You have allowed us to uh, have it read to us uh, from the, your word, Father, and now we get to expound on it and preach it. And I pray that you will use this time to bring about the the transformation of our hearts, that you will bring change to our hearts, that we might more and more bring Glory to your name as we are transformed more and more into the image of your son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of this, this morning's message is A, U- A God Uniquely Suited to Save. And as we typically do, I, I like to start off by uh, kind of getting your minds to start thinking and processing kind of what the theme is and, and how it's going to play out and how it's been connected as or at least expounded on. It's already in the scriptures but we wanted to draw it out and see how it applies to our lives so if you were to ask me hey what are you going to do this week Nick in other words what's your week look like and I were to say back to you well it's a typical week except I do have to see a specialist this week as soon as I use the word specialist everyone in here most likely is going to come up with the thought of ooh I wonder what's wrong with Nick I wonder what ailment he has. Does he have a, a bad knee? Does he have a bad eye? Does he have a bad heart? Uh, is there a balding doctor? No, I don't think there is. <laughs> um, you know, what, what is it that the specialist specializes in that I am in need of? And so that when we hear the word specialist, we get this understanding that this is the person who is best suited to take care of whatever our need is. Well, today we're going to see that we have a God who is uniquely suited to save. He is the ultimate specialist. He is the only one suited to bring about salvation. All roads do not lead to heaven. There is one because there is one unique, true, and only God. And when this is the, the message that we're going to see in, the, in our passage today. And I know it's a longer passage. We're taking these plagues on one at a time, and this is the longest plague, uh, at least the writing of it, the number of script, uh, passages or verses, excuse me, uh, than any of the other six so far. But we need to understand it. Hopefully when you go away today, you will. And do me a favor, look at your, your, uh, the backside of your bulletin. If you're uh, visiting with us today, you'll see that on the backside um, there is an outline so you know how this is progressing, you know what to expect, and you'll see that there's a takeaway. This is what you should leave with. This is, if you leave with nothing else than, than this, then you as a Christian have benefited. So uh, our takeaway today is the God who is uniquely capable of bringing about the full weight of creational wrath, he's using creation to bring wrath, to those who do not fear him is the same God who is uniquely capable of bringing about the full weight of spiritual glory, in other words, being or becoming transformed, being made more and more into the image of God in practice, to those who do fear God. Well, if you're a believer, that's an encouragement. Wow, the same weight that we're going to see in today's plague as it relates to judgment, that's on the reverse end of that, the same ability to transform, we can sit there and say that's the same God, therefore the power is, the, is equal to that and can be done in our hearts. We can be changed. We don't have to be these, these, this people that continues to sin in the same way. Now hear me clearly. This side of eternity, every one of us will remain sinners, meaning that we will fall to sin. Please don't hear perfectionism that is a heresy that the church took on a long time ago there is no one on this side of heaven that can be perfect so we will sin but we are trying to sin less and by the power of God this what we're going to see today this power is enormous he's able to not only save us which we're going to see this borne out today in the passage but for us Christians He's able to continue to save us in that we stand legally saved because we no longer have to face the judgment of God because of what Christ Jesus did. But at the same time, we are simultaneously practically being saved. If you hang out with me enough, you'll find out that your pastor sins. I'm a sinner like you. I'm part of the sheep, but God is transforming me. And he's transforming those who have repented and believe and trust in Christ. So take heart. Let's take a look at this power. So as you leave here today, you're going to be thinking, wow, I was underestimating God and his ability to transform my heart so that I'm sinning less. So let's dive into this. Let's get it. Well, let me say this before we dive in. We're in the, uh, the plagues. Um, I've got a, a number of people that we've been blessed that are visiting with us. So, I, uh, In addition to the regular background, I'm going to go back for it. Some of the people will hear things that you've heard before so that everybody's on the same page. Same plague. <laughs> um, and we will all be moving together in this and we'll have an understanding of what is God doing? Why is he bringing a plague about? Is this God just a meany God and he's chucking light bol- lightning bolts to say, look, I'm the dude that's the biggest on the block. I'm king of the hill. Or is God purposely doing something in these plagues? So we need to understand there's, we, there's two things going on. There's a polemic, and a polemic is a, an argument against, is the normal way to, to think this. That's how we see it most commonly in uh, our uh, society. But it's actually, it can be any type of a, an attack against. It can be an argument attack, or it can be a, a, physio, a physical attack. Um, we're going to see both. We see the physical judgment, and we see the argument made, and it's arguments made against who? The entities of darkness, the false gods, the fallen angels that rule and reign over the nations that are the nations of darkness, all nations except for Israel at this time. They all have been given over. They are under the authority and power of these fallen angels. So God is doing, bringing about in these plagues a polemic. He is saying these gods are nothing. You call them gods, they are nothing but false gods. Yes, They are spiritual beings that, but they are spiritual beings that I created. I am greater. There is no God. All that you, excuse me, no God other than me. All that you see is from the created world. So that's our polemic. Listen to it today. Each plague has a different. False God of Egypt in mind. Today we're dealing with hail. Listen to the false, the four false gods. As I read read this to you, this is a compilation of the ancient Near East background work that I did this week. This is not mine. These are men and women that are much smarter than me and know with us and have invested their lives in in, in understanding the ancient Near East. First, Shu, that's S H U, was the god of of the atmosphere. This is the Egyptian god of the atmosphere who held up the heavens. And they've got the next god, Nut, was the sky goddess. She's female, who represented the vaulted sky, the the greatness of how high it is and the bigness of it. And then there's Tefnut, not a tough nut, Tefnut. There's Tefnut, was the goddess of moisture. Think of rain in the atmosphere. Seth was the god who was uh, present in the wind and the storm. All these gods are in view here. They are false gods. They are fallen beings that these people uh, are worshiping, not realizing that these are nothing more than false gods. This is what's going on at this time. Each of these gods of Egypt demonstrated their inability to stop the wrath of Yahweh's. If you're visiting with us, you're going, why do every time that PJ read in the Bible, he got to the word L-O-R-D, all in caps, and he used that funny word, and he said Yahweh. Why did he say it that way? Because that's the Hebrew word. And sometimes the word Lord can get confusing. Are we talking about Lord as in, the, the, in someone who has authority over me and as a human being? Are we talking about the Lord? Or what, what are we? So we use in this service the Hebrew name underneath the L-O-R-D, all caps, of Yahweh. So when you see that, you go, oh, we're talking about the God of the Hebrews the God who's, who's leading the nation of Israel. So let's continue on. Each of these gods uh, of Egypt, and it should be false gods, demonstrated their inability to stop the wrath of Yahweh's, in other words, the Israelite God, our God, the wrath of Yahweh's anger against Pharaoh and Egypt's false religion. That's what, he's, that's what Yahweh is going against. That's the polemic. Yahweh demonstrated he was, and still is, above all false gods, Yahweh is incapable of being hindered or thwarted in any way by the supernatural beings that he created. Now, if you're struggling with this going, you kind of sound a little kooky up here. Is this guy really preaching that there are false gods? Yes, and you believe it if you are a Christian because Paul tells you it about it in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about there are powers, there are authorities, there are, there are rulers of, over darkness. All of what he 's referring to are the the hierarchy of the fallen realm of fallen angels so don 't think i 'm a kook it 's taught here it 's real it's we, we, sometimes we get to the place where we we just discount the supernatural. This is what is going on here let 's continue on. Yahweh alone is truly God, and there is none other like him in power or. And or authority over all he created. Okay, I need to throw one more thing in here. There's a polemic going through all of the, the uh, plagues. God is bringing an attack against each of the false gods, but there's also the judgment that he brings in this attack. He says, you're false gods. You want the people to worship you? They're supposed to worship me. I'm going to bring it on, and I'm going to show that your people that worship you, that you're nothing. I'm going to bring you to nothing. And in in so doing, he uses judgment. Watch what this judgment is. In each of the plagues, it's a decreation is what the theologians call it. It's the God who is exclusively capable of creating moves creation backwards as a form of judgment. He takes that which was created, and he moves it back in time to the the timeline of creation. I'm going to show you that, how it bears out. Just bear with me. Let me read you just this three sentence here. Yahweh decreated as a means of judgment against Egypt. Yahweh brought the realm of the land. Remember, in Genesis, we see there's three realms, the sky, the land, and the sea. God separates them out in the beginning. First he makes them, he separates them out, and then he fills them with creatures. We see that in Genesis 1. So when you're thinking about this, God is focusing on the realm of the land in this particular uh, uh, plague. Let me, let me continue to read. Yahweh decreated as a means of judgment against Egypt. Yahweh brought the realm of the land represented by the fields. You're going to see the destruction happens in the fields. The fields, not all the earth. The fields of Egypt represent the land at the time of creation. Okay, so we're tracking with it. Let's continue on. Uh, Represented by the fields, uh, Yahweh brings them backwards to a time at the genesis of creation when there were no plants, no animals, and no human beings on the land. That's what we're going to see unveiled in this hailstorm A hailstorm that has never been seen the likes of before. The God who creates, all that is created is the God who uses decreation as a means of judgment upon creation. These false gods are saying, I'm God. And he says, oh yeah? Can you create? No, you cannot. And not only can you not create, I can create and decreate. You are nothing but created beings desiring and deceiving the humans into worshiping you all right now you have the background now let's jump in here and and take a look at our our passages now what's going to happen for me on, on the pulpit i'm going to exegete i'm going to tell you what the the passage is saying in that context and then i'm going to as an overlay what does it mean to us are you coming here with the idea of, I want to take something away that I can be transformed with. I want to be encouraged. I want to learn and know my God more. So we're doing both things here. We're going to learn what was going on at that time and how does it apply to us. So look, let's look at, first, that the heavens declare Yahweh's uniqueness, uniqueness to save. So here we go. Exodus 9, 13 to 21. Then Yahweh said to Moses, rise up in the early in the morning. All right. We're on plague seven. Um, we have seen that the plagues run in three cycles and then one. And what I mean by that is plague one, two and three have a pattern to them. So then four, five and six have a pattern to them. And it lines up. One lines up with with four and two lines up with five. I'm trying to do my math right. Three lines up with six. And now we're on number seven. So we're on the third set of three. And we're at the beginning in, in the first uh, plague, and in the fourth plague, and now in the seventh plague, we have God commanding Moses to go to Pharaoh early in the morning. In, in the plague number one and plague number four, he, he said, by the Nile. He doesn't say it here because it's inferred. You've already started to see the pattern. He doesn't need to say it. So Moses is going out to confront uh, uh, Pharaoh at the Nile. We know that, so let's continue on. Then Yahweh said to Moses, rise up in the early in the morning and, and present yourself. And we, we mentioned that that word present in the Hebrew means to confront, stand face to face. This is me saying no more. This is opposition. I'm standing firm. I'm confronting you. This is not present. Oh, Pharaoh, could I have a moment? This is Moses saying as the representative of God, bringing the polemic, bringing the argument, bringing the statement to, to Pharaoh saying I've got something for you from my God, and you need to know this. So this is what he's doing when he confronts, uh, it says, and present yourself or confront before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. That's what it's, how it's translated in the English, woodenly, in the Hebrew, if, if we didn't smooth it out and make it so our ears understand it better, it would say in the Hebrew, uh, "Send my people out." It's an unusual way for us to say it, so we say, "Let my people go." But we have to understand. There's a pattern here. Every time Moses is tells excuse me, Moses tells Pharaoh, "Send my people out." Pharaoh doesn't. And so God sends out a plague. And you see this happening in the Hebrew. We get the words, to, they get translated differently, and we don't see the pattern. You don't send out my people, I'm sending in the plague. You're going to be made small by what I do to you, and I'm going to get glory so the rest of the world knows I am God. No other is God. So we, we see this back and forth. So it says, "Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. They're my people. They need to serve me, not worship you, the false gods. For this time I will and I will send all my plagues. This is a tough one. That's a, the phrase all my plagues is confusing to us. It's idiomatic. Idiomatic means if you take something word for word, exactly as it's written, you will get to the wrong understanding. That's what an idiom. We don't say when we say kick the can we mean someone's died. We don't mean they actually kicked the can. So this is idiomatic when he says all my people. He's saying and, and, and I looked up a number of theologians on this, and I appreciate it. It's the full force of the plague. When he says, in all my plagues, he's not talking, I'm going I'm to multiply them as far as I'm going to send them like crazy all in one, and this is going to be all this dynamics going on. The idea is the concept of the full force of who, of my judgment is coming on you in this plague. Interesting. This is plague number seven. Seven is God's particular and unique number. Every language, uh, I'll say it this way because I can't, I can't, there may be a language I'm not aware of. In, in Hebrew and in Greek and even in uh, uh, English, just a lesser degree, there's a numerology. Numbers have significance beyond their own uh, numbering system. Just the fact that they're not stale, dry, factual numbers. Number three, um, in, in uh, Hebrew, Uh, literature and the language and the culture. The number seven means completeness. It means fullness. And it means perfection. Well, here we see it as fullness. Have you ever realized that uh, plague number seven is the big daddy of them all? You want to see how big God is? Now, I'm talking about the other ones are laser strikes to meet a purpose. But number seven, number seven is a big one. It's going to bring terror. You could not be anywhere in Egypt and not feel the terror. Let's see how this plays out in number seven, in the fullness of what God is doing. The full force, I'm going to play with the, the, the understanding of the full weight of God's judgment. The reason I'm going to say it that way is because we're, we're constantly seeing this, that God is playing with the idea of the weightiness of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart is weighted down with sin, and therefore he's receiving weighted down judgment. He's receiving accelerated judgment or increasing judgment. Um, so let's take a look at this. Verse 14, for this time I will send all my plagues with the full force. And in the, in the uh, uh, English it says, on you yourself, if you're reading from the ESV. In, in the Hebrew it says, on your heart. I'm going to bring the full force of this plague on your heart. What does that mean? Ah, when you use the Hebrew, you have greater understanding. We just started to talk about it a minute ago. Nobody lives through this plague. Nobody lives through this plague without their hearts being terrified. Even, I imagine, the, the Israelites in the land of Goshen who are not going to receive this plague on their land. None of them are going to die. But to see this storm with this mighty hail, with this lightning, with this thunder, oh, stand by. Everyone will shake at the the incredible power. I remember hiking. I cannot remember for the moment right now the the mountain up in in Flagstaff. That's the highest mountain up there. Humphreys, Mount Humphreys. And And a storm came in. I wanted off that mountain as fast as I could. I mean, you could feel the thunder. It was scary stuff. And the lightning, and you're like, and, and the, the lightning was far off. It hadn't come because I was making it down fast. But the, the, the thunder was enough to scare you. you could, have you ever been in that storm where your house rattles? You can't sleep. You could hear every vent in the house. as a... And it just, you're like, oh, gosh. This is, this is amazing, God's power. That's the terror they would feel. Let's continue on. He says... <clears throat> On your heart and on your servants and on your people, everybody's going to experience this, particularly he's focusing on the Egyptian people. And then we get to a purpose statement. Again, you guys might be going, seriously, why does God have to do these plagues? He's a meanie. He could do it a different way. Can he figure out a different way to to uh, uh, have these people know who he who he is? And here's our first purpose statement. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. You will know. This time you're going to know as in knowing before as well, but this time you'll know at a different level. You will know not just intellectually and not just experientially. We're going to see the experiential part of this. You're going to know from an internal terror side. It's not going to be a convenience, a frog in your house. It's not going to be a, a disease, a boil, an itching boil on you. Oh, you're going to be overwhelmed with terror. I think of small rabbits. I used to, my brothers and sisters used to raise rabbits as a kid. And if you scare a rabbit, rabbits can have a heart attack and die right on the spot. I didn't know that. The little bunnies are fragile, and it's their hearts that are fragile. You don't do that kind of stuff to a rabbit. This is the intensity of the, of the heart that these people are going to experience. They're terrified. And they will know intellectually and experientially, They will because they are going to go through this, God. He will be known by these people. You could try and turn away all you want. You could denounce God and try and say that, oh, he's nothing. But, boy, you know for sure. So let's continue on. Verse 15. For... For by now I could have put out my hand, and that's a demonstration of power, and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. That term, that phrase, cut off from the earth, it's the understanding of being receiving death, destruction. I could have used pestilence, but I didn't. I'm showing you the full weight of my power, the full force of my power. He continues on. And now we see purpose statement number two, and it comes in two parts. Purpose statement in number two. We saw purpose statement in 14. Now we're seeing the purpose statement in verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. In other words, given you, Pharaoh, authority and the position as Pharaoh in the Egyptian empire. This is why I allowed you to be born in this time in history to to fulfill this role as this false god. Remember, Pharaoh says, oh, their the- their theology, their religion says, "I am I am the son of Ra. I am the son of the of the greatest God in heaven, the God of the Sun, and I am Him incarnate on Earth." Scarily, like the 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 understanding the theology of what we understand of the incarnate person of Jesus Christ. It's amazing how the how the false religions uh, mimic so so closely sometimes. So. It says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. I've made you Pharaoh, in other words, to show you my power. He's going to experience it. And then purpose statement number two, part two, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Well, how is that going to work? They don't have telephones. They don't have emails. They don't have text messages. How is this going to be? How is what's going to happen in Egypt? going to make it possible for that his name, the name of Yahweh, is going to be known over the whole face of the earth. Well, Yahweh's going to spread it by word of mouth. That's how it happened back then. We're going to see that the people and the, of the other nations are going to understand two things about God. This, this Yahweh, this God of this people, is a God of judgment who can suppress the gods of any foreign nation so that he can bring judgment upon them. And remember, the Israelites, who are his people, who he's telling the the Egyptians to let go, they're sitting in the land of Goshen, parked in the paradise-like area of Egypt, not receiving any of this. He is not only a God of judgment, he is a God of salvation for his people. And we're seeing both, and that will be the message. I want to show you that that will be the message. Listen to this in Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. This is the kingdom has been saved. Israel, the nation, was left Egypt. There is a picture of physical salvation. They've gone out into the wilderness. This is the the first generation. They fail and they don't want to go into the promised land. And God says, okay, I'll wait 40 years. I'm going to go ahead and this will be your sentence. I'll wait for you to all die. Anyone that's over the age of 20 um, will die. And then I'm going to bring everyone who were the kids of those. And I'm going to take them into the promised land. Joshua, the book of Joshua starts with the children of these rebellious people that he saved out of Egypt. And listen to what happens with these children. And listen how he, his name is proclaimed. His name went out by way of word of mouth. Joshua 2, 8 through 13 um, Joshua is sending out spies to, to, to spy out the land. And he says, before the men, and he's talking about the Israelite spies, Josh, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Joshua is speaking of, before the, before the men lay down, she, see, the, the men had gotten into the town of Jericho, they're spying out the town. They want to know its weaknesses, bring that information back to Joshua, and Joshua will take the forces of God, the people of God, and go in and do what they're supposed to do, which is to bring destruction, bring judgment on that city because that city is also, according to God, worthy of judgment. So they, the spies are in Jericho. They, the uh, officials of Jericho know it. And they They just got done looking and they can't find the spies. They came to, to Rahab and said, where are they? And Rahab says, oh, I think they went out that way. Now she's going to go up on her roof where she has hidden them. And watch what happens here. She says this, before the men, the Israelites lay down, the Israelite spies, in other words, she came up to them on the roof and said to the, to the men, I know that Yahweh has given you the land, the land she stands on, the land of Jericho and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard that Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Hear that? The first thing she notes, you know, interesting, she gets it differently than, when the, than the chronological order. She talks of salvation before she talks of judgment. She says, hey, we know that your God, Yahweh, Push back the waters of the Red Sea so that you could go through them and be saved out of Egypt. Why does she talk about salvation before she talks about judgment? Because the plagues are all about judgment. Let's follow this. Let's continue on. how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, here goes the judgment, who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, these are locations, whom you devoted to destruction. Judgment was brought on them. They were killed. They were destroyed by the people of God. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh your God is, he, now listen to, listen to what she professes. She's a pagan pro, a prostitute in a, in a city that is about to receive the judgment of God. It's to be wiped out for their sin, and their sin is disgusting sexual sin. It is an incredible abomination to God. Listen to what this pagan prostitute confesses. This is what she says. For Yahweh your God He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, then, please swear to me before Yahweh that as I have dealt kindly with you by hiding these spies that are the Israelites, you also will deal kindly with me, excuse me, with my father's house and all her relatives. Here's a prostitute who cares about her relatives. She's a sinner who knows she's a sinner. She's greater than any Pharisee or any would-be perfectionist that says, I get my own salvation by being good. She recognizes she's in need of of somebody outside of her. She's terrified, watch this, of Yahweh and what he can do. Now then, please swear to me by Yahweh that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive. Rahab wants salvation that's why she talks about it first she knew of the power of God she heard it by way of word of mouth she knows that they're coming to take the city and she says please save my people have mercy on me as I have had mercy on you it's a beautiful picture she knew God in two ways she knew him as a God that judges against evil, and she knew God as a merciful God. God promised it would happen, and it did happen in Rahab's time. Rahab rightly fears Yahweh. Yahweh's name has been proclaimed in all the earth, as he said it would be to Pharaoh's own face by way of Moses carrying his message. Well, not only do we see that heaven declares Yahweh's uniqueness, Heaven declares by way of Yahweh speaking it through Moses. Heaven's also going to declare it by way of the realm from which, it, the source from which all of this judgment will come. This is the, the, the plague that comes directly from heaven. The other plagues originate on the earth in different places. This is the plague. You cannot deny, if you are ancient Near Eastern, that this is a a plague from God simply by the location. Every ancient Near Eastern would go, this is from God because it came from the realm of the gods, the heavens. And they know it's not their God. It's the Israelites' God that is more powerful. So now we move from the heavens declare to the understanding that history testifies to Yahweh's uniqueness. We continue on in Exodus nine twenty-two to 26. We read, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field. In the land of Egypt, verse 23, then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and Yahweh sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. The idea of fire, certainly it could be fire, as we know fire just as the, the orangeness of fire, but we know lightning to be fire as well. I can't tell you it's, it's only lightning. I don't know. But certainly we understand storms. Storms. Th- we understand storms, Lightning is a part of thunder. We understand with the picture they must have seen. Have you ever seen your whole bedroom light up? When you see that flash and you go, oh, that was close. I don't want that hitting our house or we're done with. This is the the terror they would be participating in. And it continues. And Yahweh rained rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Verse 24, there was hail and fire flashing continually. Thinking about lightning flashes. In the midst of the hail, very heavy hail. Sometimes when we think of, oh, oh, this is the the plague of the hail. No, no, no. This is the plague of the very heavy hail. This is the plague of the Kaved or Kaved hail. Uh, That's the Hebrew. When God talks about... Uh, Pharaoh hardening his heart. He talks about it, the understanding is Pharaoh weighs his heart down with sin. This is hail, that is kaved hail. This hail is huge hail, weighted down in size, and it's coming down in big, destroying chunks of hail. You don't get hit with this hail and live. You get hit with this, and you're done with this is the idea. Again, you see Moses by way of divine inspiration playing with the understanding of the, the, the size of the hail as to the degree or proportion. This is number seven, uh, plague number seven, where we continue to see Pharaoh harden his heart. You're going to continue to harden your heart. You're going to get the full weight of God's judgment. Let's continue. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Give me a second. I'm going to come back to that. That's our history piece. Let me finish with verses 25 and 26. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Notice it's isolating it to the field. The field represents decreation. We're moving backwards to when there was no land, excuse me, when there was nothing in the land. It was void, it's not formless. God made the the, the dry land, but it's void of creature because God has brought the judgment on the creatures and the vegetation on the dry land. The hail struck down everything that was in the field. In all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. When I say that history is testifying... It's the idea. It's almost, I I think it's maybe because I have the police background. I think personification, as if history was a person. Take the stand, history. Take the stand, Father Time. There is no Father Time. God is time. I'm being a little playful with this. Um, But take the stand. You tell me about the storms of the past. Egypt came about as a a nation in uh, 31 B.C., Seventeen hundred years later, seventeen hundred and five years later, in fourteen forty-five, we have the crossing of the Red Sea. You have you have seventeen hundred and five years that have passed for this nation. Testify, uh, 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 Father History, Father Time. Testify: Has there ever been a storm like this before? And that history testifies there has never been a storm like this. Oh, we've seen, I gave you some examples of some great storms I've lived through. Oh, but there's never been a storm like this. Not like this. And time stands testifying that this is a unique God of judgment. He can use creation beyond its normal bounds and bring about a storm of all storms to be used as judgment we continue. Lastly, we see here that Pharaoh confesses Yahweh's uniqueness. Pharaoh himself confesses. But when you think of Pharaoh confessing, don't think of like, like you made a confession of faith and you, when you became a believer. That'd be the wrong way to think about it. Think about this confession that Pharaoh makes. He says this. Or let me give you an example. I'm going to read to you from Philippians 2, 10 through 11. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi, the Philippians in Philippi, and he's telling them that every knee is going to bow. And and let me read it to you, and then let me explain it real quick. He says this in in Philippians 2, 10 through 11. So that at the name of Jesus, Yahweh, second person Yahweh, every knee should bow. And interesting, some of the other will say every knee will bow. There's a decision being made by the translator of each Bible, the idea of bowing, as a Christian, every one of us has have, have submitted and bowed our knee, our knees to the authority. We recognize you are God. I am not. I need you. What you ha- what you have to offer in salvation, I need, or I'm damned to hell. That's a willing bowing of the knees. But there's another kind of a bowing of the knee, the knee that stands in the presence of the all-powerful God. It cannot stand without bowing it's the picture of them having to bow because of the greatness of who God is you will either every human being ever made will either confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and bow the knee or through judgment will bow the knee they will they will know the judgment of God and they will know that God is greater than them he is the authority over them and thus they bow in their reception of the judgment to his authority that's the idea here that's going on with Pharaoh's confession. Now, let's, let's, let's take a look at this text. Exodus 9, 27 to 35. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. Wow, it sounds like this he's, he's, he's confessing. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. Yahweh is right and, and I and my people are in the wrong. Ooh, we are tracking the right direction, it would seem. Plead with Yahweh for there has been enough Of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Lie from the pit of hell. If we go on just a few more verses, he turns his back and doesn't let anybody go. He said he will do anything. Stop the judgment. I will lie, I will tell you anything you want to hear. Stop the judgment. I can't take it anymore. This is the picture that's going on. We continue on. In verse 29, Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to Yahweh. The idea of stretching out your hands, you know, sometimes in the Reformed faith, we get a little freaked out if we see somebody do this in our congregation or even this. We're like, whoa, can can you do that? And in so many other churches, they do it, and nobody even blinks twice. The the idea there, he's stretching out his, his hands to Yahweh. The word in Hebrew actually means to unfold. It means, and where, where is it going to? To Yahweh. Where is the realm of Yahweh? Up. He prays like this. This is the picture of Moses praying. Don't be freaked out if someone does that ever, when, when we happen to be praying or whatever, and or we're singing and someone does that. It's not unbiblical. That's okay. That's a form of demonstrating uh, uh, reverence to God. So we continue on. Uh, I will stretch out my hands. Uh, uh, towards he- in other words, uh, to Yahweh, in other words, praying towards heaven. The, the thunder will cease and there will be no more hail. And then we get to see purpose statement number three. Here we go. What, for what purpose? So that now this is, think about this. This is Moses now getting to tell Pharaoh a purpose statement. Listen to what he says. So that you may know that the earth is Yahweh. Pharaoh is God on earth. That's what their false religious system said he was. And, and Moses is saying, you will know that my God, Yahweh, is God on earth. You can do nothing to stop him. There is no earthly or, or uh, heavenly, if you summon the other gods of heaven, the false gods, there is nothing that can stop what, what my God does other than me praying as he has called me to do so on, on, as a part of his plan. So we continue on here. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear. You do Excuse me. I know that you do not yet fear Yahweh God. He he he's letting the cat out of the bag. I know you're not gonna you're not gonna follow. I know you. I've seen this six other times. You're gonna turn your back. You're gonna lie. You're not gonna let the people go. I know. But there's more for you, and Moses puts a parenthetical statement in here next. A parenthetical means he inserts something, kind of like a narrative on TV. When the actor all of a sudden will look at the camera and say something like he's talking to the audience, that's what happens in this next verse. It's an added statement, so us, the audience, will get it. We'll get it. Take a look what he says in, in the next verse. In, in fact, they, they used brackets. To, the the esv uses brackets so you know it's a parenthetical statement it's an add-on he's talking to you and me directly Uh, the flax and the barley were struck down for the barley was in the air and the flax was in the bud but the but the wheat and the emmer emmer is a type of wheat so he's talking about two different types of wheat were not struck down excuse me for they are late in coming up two things that we learn here a it's january we can know by way of crops that it's January in Egypt. And secondly, we know that he is saying uh, there, is, there, are, there has to be something to eat for the locusts to come in plague number eight. This is what they're going to eat. They're going to eat the wheat that hasn't come up yet. It is still below ground. So you go, oh, because sometimes we get the the naturalist or the scientist that says, well, there can't be anything because everything was struck down. And I just love that Moses throws us in there just to kind of go, really? When are you going to figure out that science catches up with theology? It's not the other way around. Let's keep going. We we, we continue on. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to Yahweh and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased what does he do he sinned yet again and hardened he coveted he made heavy he weighted down his heart with sin that's what Pharaoh is doing and he and his servants so Pharaoh so the heart of Pharaoh was hard Interesting. Plague number six was the first plague we saw that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Plague number six, Hazak, not Kved, was used. Hazak means the hardening done by God in the way that it is structured in the sentence. We see both Kaved in here, and we see Hazak, and then we follow the end of this verse. Pharaoh's hardening his heart. God is hardening his heart. Pharaoh's hardening his heart out of his own nature. He is evil. And he does not want to, to do anything other than to identify himself as God. And he's going to continue to do battle with Yahweh. And at the same time, Yahweh says, I'm going to make sure you stay in the battle. Because I've got more to show the, the world in the way of plagues. I'm going to use you as my in- instrument to show the world my might. You're not, you don't get to tap out. You're in this the whole way through all ten plagues. And so he continues on. And we, sorry, and we see this. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, or harzak. It means to be made strong in stubbornness. And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken through Moses. So what's going on here? Pharaoh and the false gods know they can do nothing to stop what God is doing. God brings judgment, and through that judgment of a people, he brings salvation of another people. Jesus Christ is the picture of that. God brings the judgment that you and I deserve. We are sinners. I'm, I'm only pointing at you. I should be pointing back at me. You and I deserve as sinners. Jesus Christ takes that judgment on his shoulders, and we are saved. It's the picture of what is being unfolded here now in history. God is giving us a picture of salvation so many years before. This is the, the, a picture that's in the kernel state, the understanding of the gospel the good news that there is judgment due us ah but there is a God that has provided a way out of that judgment by way of this death of his son let us be reminded that that same power that God used to bring about judgment is the same power that he uses to transform your and my heart not only to initially be saved but to continue to be saved and that we are transformed more and more into the image of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that, uh, for these truths. I pray that those that are here that haven't been a part of this sermon series will have an opportunity to digest this. will have an opportunity to think long on this, that we as a people of God that have been hearing all along will be encouraged by this. You are an incredibly powerful God. You are a God that we can trust we can rely on, we can depend on with our very lives. Do what you will with us. Make us a people who fear you in such an understanding of reverential fear. Not fear of judgment. Your son paid for for the judgment in his death on a cross. But a reverential, intense reverence for you because of your incredible power as our God and your incredible mercy to allow that power to be displayed through the crucifixion of your son on our behalf. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.